Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Molly. So, Molly, I wrote an article for Discovery News not too long ago about adult sexting behaviors. Sex? Sexting. Sexting, that's right. I kind of jumped on that word there. Sexting. Because most of the headlines that we see about sexting have to do with teen sexting behavior because, A, it terrifies people to think that young kids are taking nudie pics of themselves and sending it to their friends via cellular telephone. Mm -hmm. And, B, because some of these kids have been arrested since those nudie pics can be legally deemed child pornography. Yeah. So sexting has just been this kind of cultural phenomenon. People have been freaking out about it. Are your kids sexting? What you can do to stop your kids from sexting? Meanwhile, a lot of adults are sending spicy sexts, too. Mm -hmm. So the point of the Discovery News article was to look at the frequency of adult sexting and maybe why we do it and if there's any danger at all, because it's always painted in the media as this negative kind of thing. But come to find out, a lot of us are doing it and there's really not much harm to it. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, the adult factor is something that isn't really brought up, I guess, because most people assume it's two consensual adults, uh, you know, texting. But I think that you uncovered some really interesting things about the, the psychology of sexting. Yes. And before we get into the psychology, let's just toss out some statistics. So the people, the age demographic that sex the most. That's such a hard word to say. It really is. Sex. And we kind of use it as a verb and as a noun and as a... So the the demographic that sends sexy texts most is 18 to 26-year-olds. And according to some preliminary research from Indiana University and Purdue University, anywhere from 55% to 77% of college-age kids in committed relationships, and that's key right now, committed relationships, have sent either sexually explicit pictures or messages to their significant other. This does not take into account people in casual sexual relationships. Okay. So a lot of us are doing it. And to follow up on that, a recent poll commissioned by Playboy found that 16% of adults say they've sent sexts. There it is again, sex before. And 16%, obviously, much lower than that uh, college-age survey. But that might be because the Playboy survey took in a larger, a wider range of ages. So it bumped down that percentage. But nevertheless, a lot of us are sexting. And from the people I talked to, everyone said that, you know what? It's time for this to stop being a trend piece because this has become a normalized part of our dating culture. Well, think how normalized, you know, using your phone for 24 hours a day has become. You know, we all do have our phones just sort of, you know, always there. So I think it makes sense that a lot of people do it just because it's so easy. So easy just to, you know, think how often you send just a regular text message during the day. I'm texting you right now. You are. It's kind of distracting. Um, and, and so if, if it's so easy to do, then, you know, it seems like this would be a really great way to sort of supercharge a relationship, yeah. maybe jumpstart something that's ailing. And that's, you know, I, you sent me one article from the AARP, AARP, formerly American Association of Retired Persons. <laughs> um, 
where a marriage counselor said, you know, it's good to text uh, in a long-term relationship because it can get, you know, the the fire sparking again. Yeah, you can send a little spicy something or other during the work hours Just so like that when you get of, home, yeah, yeah get, get, get those wheels a-turning upstairs to get the wheels a-turning downstairs, if you know <laughs> what I mean. And I think you do. So I'm not sure I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, apologies for that. So... The thing about sexting among, yes, two consenting adults, we're going to keep saying that over and over again, two consenting adults, and also two consenting adults in committed relationships, because that really helps things out, is that there's nothing wrong with sending the sex. But if you find yourself habitually sexting, it might be a cue that there's some underlying psychology at work that could be a red flag in a relationship. That's right. And you break this down into anxiously attached women and avoidantly attached men. And I think that you can sort of, you know, garner a picture of what these kind of people look like in your head when you hear anxiously attached woman, a woman who might be sort of insecure about where the relationship is and an avoidantly attached man, that kind of guy who you have trouble maybe pinning down for his weekend plans. Yeah, he avoids he avoids intimacy. So. Apparently, these are sort of the two um, red flags you might watch for if you're a frequent sexter to find out if you're this personality type because it might affect or might indicate the health of your relationship. Right. These preliminary, this preliminary research that we mentioned from Indiana and Purdue uh, found that the people who sexed the most are anxiously attached women. And there was a gender breakdown in that. It was, it was the women sending most of these sex and it was those avoidant men who were receiving a bulk of them. So if you find yourself feeling the need to constantly send a sex in order to validate or reconfirm someone's attraction to you, uh, you might want to work on your face-to-face time yeah. because among these relationships, people were sexting more than they were having face-to-face sexual conversations, uh, not necessarily sexual encounters, but sexual conversations, um, and even more than something like phone sex. And it's because uh, sexting is a low-commitment form of communication. Um, in the words of the psychologist I talked to, it's much easier to say, take your shirt off uh, if you're alone in your room and take a picture of it and send it, then it might be to take your shirt off in, in front of someone. Yeah. And I think that that's a, a key thing that comes out of this is it can kind of uh, make you feel the relationship is farther along than it might necessarily be. You might, um, you know, because you've sent all these racy pictures to a fella, you might think that he has, uh, that you, you know, you both see the relationship in the same way. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, since the bulk of people who, bulk of men who receive the text are these avoidantly attached men, it's sort of a way for them to avoid having that face-to-face conversation or that face-to-face sexual conversation about where exactly the relationship is. And it's going to be interesting to see how these same findings shake out for casual sexual relationships because Mm -hmm. all of this is still focused around committed relationships. I think the average duration was something around two years. So these people have been together for a while. So we're not sure whether or not um, people who are anxious and preoccupied might actually be more hesitant to sext someone um, that they are interested in or not. But if you are in a relationship and you find yourself sexting all the time, then you might want to watch out for it. But here is an interesting little side tidbit about teen sexting. Mm-hmm. And because the, the major risk involved 
with sexting is the permanence. Oh, yeah. If you send someone, especially if your face is in it, you send someone a nude picture and it's just there. Yeah. And anyone can see it. I, from personal experience, have seen sex that, you know, sent to guy friends of mine that I did not want to see, but it was just there. And, you know, that's, that's a, it's terrifying prospect. So why do we take these risks? Well, some neurobiologists think that it has to do with the developing frontal cortex because it develops um, into your 20s. And this is the part of your brain that manages impulse control. So they think that younger people tend to sext more because we are more prone to risk taking since our frontal cortexes haven't really developed um, enough to say, whoa, hold on, let's slow down and think about this. And if I may recommend an article on HowStuffWorks.com that deals with this very phenomenon, Kristen, yes. it's, is teenagers, are teenagers' brains different than adult brains? Mm-hmm. And I don't want to brag, but I wrote it. Oh, well, it must be, <laughs> it must be grade A+. Plus. But yeah, it deals with this fact that, you know, how many risky behaviors can we attribute to teenagers? And it does come to this fact that teenagers' brains are still developing this idea of, you know, risk control and measured risk, um, you know, but we've seen plenty of adults in the news lately that, you know, should know better and mm-hmm. get caught in these uh, sexting scandals. And, you know, it, the permanence is a big thing, but also just remembering that, you know, if, if you're an anxiously attached or avoidantly attached person receiving or sending the text, the person who sends the text is probably uh, assuming that it's for one person's eyes only. Right. And that seems to be where the trouble starts with that assumption, because it seems like a lot of people receive the sex and go, whoa, look at this, or forward it on to a 100 friends. And after you break up, then sex are fair game. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that's, that's sort of the big thing. I think that, um, you know, because it is so easy and because it's such an easy way, like you said, to test the waters of where you are in a relationship. It's really easy just to send out a, a sex to uh, someone who's new in your life, but remembering that, you know, you may not know them and you may not know what they are inclined to do with that. Mm-hmm. You've got to, you've got to be really careful. Yeah. And I think we want to underscore the fact that no one is saying that sexing is wrong or it is bad or it's something that you shouldn't do. In the words of James Lipton from Inside the Actor's Studio, who recorded a great PSA series um, urging teens to chill out on sexting, he said, just give it a ponder mm. before you sex. I think that's good advice for adults and kids. Absolutely. But let's, um, you know, we, we didn't want to kind of dwell on this fact that teen sexting is such a scary thing. We wanted to talk more about this adult psychology within committed relationships. But I think that you can learn a lot of lessons from the adults and apply them if you are a teenager out there listening. And one is that sometimes, as we've said, sexting can be a red flag for how the relationship is going. If you're sending a sex to try and prove yourself to someone of the opposite sex, mm-hmm. you know, that's it's a red flag. that The relationship is m- maybe not where you want it to be before you start sending out uh, racy messages or nude pictures. Yeah. And maybe think about would you do this in a face to face scenario? And yeah. if the answer is always no then maybe you're doing something that you aren't actually comfortable with because this is sexing really just lowers the barrier of intimacy and it also escalates um, or accelerates, I should say, the speed at which we are entering into these kind of intimate communications. And maybe we just need to take a little more time, give it a little more pondering 
and sex if you want to. If you're in a great, secure, committed relationship, I think Dan Savage would agree with us and say, yeah, go ahead, send the, send the saucy text. But just realize that it's permanent and think about, um, if you find yourself doing it all the time, maybe stop and ask yourself why. And remember that, you know, the, the adult studies have always dealt with consenting. People don't feel pressured into doing it, even though it seems like everyone's doing it because you read all these horror newspaper stories. They're like, oh, my God. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be something that everything everyone is doing. And your cell phone will still be there in a month if well, you just want to chill. And one thing that we haven't touched on is the role of sexing in long distance relationships. I can imagine that this that our warnings might change a little bit if your beloved is living across across the country from you or something. Mm -hmm. So I would be curious to see, you know, in a, in a very PG kind of way, if we have listeners out there who are like, well, this is our only real way to um, engage in these kind of, this kind of sexual communication because now sexing has eclipsed phone sex, which I think is very interesting. So anyway, no one talks anymore. Nobody talks anymore, especially not, certainly not face to face and now not even, over the phone. Uh, so what if we release a mean? whole podcast of us just texting each other? I think that would be incredibly boring because how would people understand my accents and <laughs> verbal inflections? <laughs> so that's one one reason, at least right there, that that texting and sexing should not become a dominant form of communication. It should be an aid to a relationship. Yeah. But not the whole thing. Yeah. Kind of like emoticons. Use them sparingly, <laughs> Use people. Use them sparingly. <laughs> so, and give them a ponder in professional situations. Please. Unless it's the winking one, in which case, send away. So if you have any thoughts to add to this sexting conversation, send us an email. I'd say text us, but I'm not giving you my phone number. <laughs> Our email address is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And in the meantime, let's read a couple of emails. All right, I have an email here from Sarah, and it's about the male doctor versus female doctor podcast. And Sarah has a really great perspective on this because, get this, Kristen, she is a female doctor married to a male doctor. So best of both worlds here, and they're both optometrists. And Sarah writes, I wanted to touch on a topic that you did not delve into, patient perceptions of doctors. I am a young-looking, blonde-haired, blue-eyed female. I am not the stereotypical eye doctor. There have been many times that people ask me when the real doctor is coming in. As I age, this happens less. People question my qualifications and decisions. I get the occasional patient complaint about my demeanor because people think I am rude for my questions or medical advice. I'm a very good doctor, and I have learned not to take it personally. I have also learned to laugh it off. My husband is also young-looking and handsome. Lucky me, she writes. He has never been asked when the real doctor is coming. He never gets his qualifications or decisions questioned. He also never had a patient complain about his bedside manner, comments, or care. He gets away with saying much more probing, directive, almost mean things that I would never even attempt. This is an example. When someone says, I want glasses or contacts, but I cannot afford them, he will say, stop smoking that half pack per day, and you can afford it in one month. They laugh when he says it. They almost lunge at me in anger if I say the same thing. He is perceived as funny and charming. I am perceived as a word that rhymes with witch. Ah, so there you go. Although she wrote the actual it. word. <laughs> well, I've got one here from Sam, and this is in response to our podcast on catcalling and street harassment. And really fast, I want to give a shout out to Emily May from Hollaback. Apparently she's a Stuff Mom Never Told You fan, which is so exciting. So, on to Sam, who is part of a fraternity in a downtown major city. He says, as a result of our location, we have a decent number of women walking past our house on any given night. 
As you said, I think catcalling has much more to do with impressing the guys that accompany the catcaller than it has to do with the target herself. Further, in my experience, the guys that yell out seem to have lower self-confidence than the rest of the bunch, so perhaps they're trying to prove something. Regardless, I think it's something that should not happen. I try to deter my friends from doing it whenever it happens, partly for the selfish reason of trying to preserve the reputation of our fraternity, but also because I would hate to think of any of my female relatives being treated in such a way. I've witnessed women being flattered by catcalling, but I've also seen too many instances where it clearly makes them uncomfortable. For one, it instantly reduces them to purely sexual objects, and I can imagine it's difficult to stand up to a group of rowdy, drunken guys when you're one woman alone on the street. Catcallers are basically the trolls of real life, hiding behind the shield of anonymity in order to in order to deliver their crude, callous comments. I can't think of any great solutions to the problem, but I'll still try and persuade my drunken friends to give those lady passers-by a break. So this is my favorite email from a fraternity member because, Sam, thank you for, in one fell swoop, just challenging so many stereotypes about uh, fraternities that, that circulate. It is wonderful to know, and I know that this exists, but it's still wonderful confirmation that there are plenty of great Greek guys out there. So keep your emails coming. The address is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. We'd also love to hear from you on Facebook so you can interact with other listeners as well. We're on Facebook. Head over there and like us. You can also follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. And finally, you can head over to our blog. It's Stuff One Member Told You, which you can find at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House to Fork's iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?